All right, keep your Bibles open there. We're going to walk through that together. Uh, just a reminder on your app, if you go to this weekend, you can actually pull up the scripture from there, but there are some resources uh, there for further reading on the topic. Um, uh, each week, it's, it's on there. So uh, we are wrapping up uh, this week and next week. Um, we'll finish up our series on gender, and it's been our heart in this series on gender and sexuality to really um, not just harp on the world and the, how things are, you know, jacked up, and they are, like, don't get me wrong, but not to just talk about what's wrong, but really to elevate what's good about God's design and how he has called us to a certain, like, the, as the authority, the maker of earth and our bodies and our lives, that he has the authority to say, this is how you should live, but also the, the heart of a father to say, not only is this how you should live, because I said so, this is how you're going to want to live because it's going to lead to flourishing, right? And so we've, we've tried to really uh, focus on God's good design for men and women, just period, right? And then men and women together. Um, and so that's, that's been our heart. And I think it's really clear that our, our culture is over-sexualized and, and, and really uh, that drives so much. If you take a step back and look at our culture, it drives commerce, it drives uh, so much of, you know, uh, entertainment and uh, lots of things, but it also drives a lot of confusion, right? Because then we get these distorted desires. We get people who, um, you know, we're being told that, that there you shouldn't be anybody that says you can and cannot do this with your body, right, in a number of different ways. And so people are just, you know, the, the sexual revolution is saying, you know, that we should all be free to uh, indulge and, and pursue whatever relationship, whatever uh, type of lifestyle that we say is okay and or, you know, and whatever. So the, all of this is happening, and it drives so much of the confusion. And I think what happens also, though, is because all of that is so sexualized and so such a part of our culture, who we are, in ways that we realize and ways we don't realize, is that in addition to causing some issues, you know, homosexuality and, and some of the societal impacts of the sexual revolution, which, you know, you can read and kind of even follow some of our, our past sermons. But the other thing that I don't think we talk about enough is that when this is the conversation, it also pushes to the margin those who are not romantically involved, right? Singles, right? So what happens when that is, is driving so much of what's going on in our world, it, it pushes those to the margin who are not married or who aren't uh, romantically involved for, for whatever reason. Maybe they're widowed, maybe they're divorced, maybe they're just called to singleness and or just haven't found marriage. Maybe, um, you know, they're, they're in waiting and, you know, they're pursuing marriage, whatever it may be, but we, we kind of push them to the side and make them feel like they're less than and that one day they'll get to experience, you know, hopefully they'll get to experience marriage and be, you know, here with the rest of us. And we inadvertently kind of make single people feel like second-class citizens and I think that adds to gender confusion, right? Because then if they don't feel like, if somebody has, they don't feel like they fit what traditional society says they should be doing, then that adds to identity confusion. And they think, well, maybe, maybe I'm this. If, if I'm not married, if I haven't found a husband or a wife, then maybe it's because I have desires, you know, and I should be this. And, I, and so all of this plays into this. So I wanted to take a whole, a whole sermon and just look at singleness because Paul's going to say something vastly different. If you notice there, the language that Jenna just read, it's pretty interesting language. and stuff we don't talk about a lot, right? Where Paul is, is literally saying, hey, marriage is really good. We talked about that last week, right? Paul talked about that in the previous verses here. He's not knocking it. He says it's really good. But he's, he's going to say something as bold as singleness might be even better. That's bold, isn't it? 
So there's some articles I encourage you to read there in, and a video to watch in your, in your app later. But we're going to look at this passage today and really uh, let Paul speak to the gift of singleness. And before we do that, I just need to define very briefly what singleness is. Okay, Our culture kind of demands that we do because the age uh, the average age of people getting married just keeps getting older, and that's not always a bad thing, but often it, what it is, it's not people just, you know, waiting out of mature reasons. It's, it's people that are just, you know, cohabitating, living together, doing their thing. They're, they're enjoying the benefits of, of marriage without the commitment of marriage. They just keep putting that off, and that is not what I'm talking about here whenever we're talking about singleness. We're not talking about the man who just wants to toy with a woman and maybe enjoy, again, marital benefits without the commitment of marriage. That's, that's not what we're talking about. If you have a desire to be married, men specifically, because it's almost always the issue, right, in those situations, the man won't man up and take a, like, pop the question, get married, like, so if you have a desire to be with a woman, that's okay. Paul's going to say that's actually good, but man up and take a wife, okay? That's a good and right desire. So this is not what I'm talking about, just prolonging that whole deal and being afraid of commitment. And that, that's not what we're talking about with singleness. We're talking about people who are living lives, following Jesus, not sexually active. Maybe they're dating, but they're doing so and honoring the Lord. That, that's what we're talking about when we talk about singleness, okay? We're not just talking about people that are, you know, sleeping around and in a relationship, but they're just not married, so they're single. No, no, we're talking about people who are not, you know, they're following Jesus and they're not Marriage relationship. That makes sense? So just need to clarify that. So let's jump in here. Let's pick it up just in verse 25. I think Paul's teaching is really practical, so we're just going to really let it speak for itself a lot. We'll make some comments as we go. Uh, but verse 25 there, um, Paul is, is shifting away from, he's been talking about marriage actually in the, in the earlier part of 7, um, and he's shifting away. He says, now concerning the betrothed. Now that's a, that's a word that is often used to refer to engaged people, but here it's actually uh, more specifically translated to uh, the plural of virgins, which in this culture it just means women who are, it's, it could actually be applied to men or women, but we see Paul later uses it to refer to women specifically. So I think he's talking about women here, but he's just talking about women who are of maritable age, right? So they could get married, but they're not yet married, right? Maybe, they're, maybe they are betrothed and they've got somebody that's you know, spoken for them and they're moving toward that. Maybe they're not, but, but he's talking about basically people who are not married, right? But you're of married. You, know, you could get married age-wise, but you're not there yet. That's who he's talking about. And he says this, I have no command from the Lord. So what he's saying is the Old Testament hasn't specifically spoken to this. Paul doesn't have teaching directly from the Old Testament that he's going to say, going to lay this on, but he's saying, I have no command from the Lord, but I give my judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. And he says at the very end of, you know, of this passage, verse 40, he says, um, I think I too have the Spirit of the Lord. So Paul is aware that he is writing Scripture, right? We see this in other ways. We see Peter, even while they're both alive, affirm that Paul is, is right, what the writings of Paul are viewed as Scripture. And so Paul is in this tension where he's claiming authority because he knows that God has given it to him. And yet these are letters to a church. And so he's saying, like, listen, I, you know, Again, I don't have super, you know, clear teachings from the Old Testament word, but God's given me his spirit, and I think I've proved trustworthy at this point. Paul has earned his right to speak into the lives of churches, right? And so he's saying, this, this is my wisdom, this is what I'm saying, and I think the Lord would affirm, and I think history and other parts of Scripture would affirm as well. So that's, that's what Paul's saying, just real practically there. Uh, verse, verse 26, he says, I think that in view of the present distress... So he's possibly referring to uh, literal 
persecution, suffering, um, maybe even drought and famine that's, that's happening. But I, I think more likely in the context of the rest of the scripture, what we're seeing here is he's talking about the, the distress of the, the end time, like the gospel has turned the world upside down. Jesus has overthrown the enemy of death, and now everything has changed. And he's saying uh, the, the world is being shifted. People are being changed, and the government doesn't always like that, and it's all this is going on. So he's it's saying in light of the present distress, here's what he would say. It's good for a person to remain as he is. Okay, so what he's in short saying the gospel's changed everything. So in light of that, if you're able, you should remain as you are. So he says you, you have a wife, you're bound to a wife. Don't seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Don't seek a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned. Yet those who marry will have worldly troubles. And I would spare you that. This is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. From now on, those who have wives live as though they have none. And those who mourn as though they were not mourning. This is a confusing passage. We'll, we'll explain it in just a minute. And those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing. And those who buy as though they had, not, had no goods. And those who deal with the world as, the, as though they had no dealings with it. For the present form of this world is passing away. So here's what we're going to talk about uh, first. And I actually got ahead of myself by reading 28. But, but 25 through 26, where Paul just says, listen, it, it, it's... If you, got, if you don't have a wife, you should probably just stay that way. If you've got a wife, you're not trying to break that off, but, but stay where you are. But he says, if you do marry, it's not a sin. So what he's saying here is both marriage, here's, here's the first point, marriage and singleness are both given to point to the gospel. Okay, we spent a whole sermon last week talking about how marriage itself, the complementary uh, nature, the intimate nature of marriage points to, screams out the beauty of the gospel, right? We talked about that at length last week, what we need to talk about probably at more length because it's less familiar to us is that singleness also is given by God to point to the gospel. And you say, how so? Well, because uh, singleness, like to say that I am content, it shows the sufficiency of Christ in the gospel. What Paul is saying is everything's temporary in this world anyway. And if you can understand that marriage, though it is a good gift, it is a temporary gift. Okay, and it is actually a shadow that is pointing us to the substance of Christ. That's what we talked about last week, right? That the, the beauty of marriage is, is this beautiful mystery, and it points us to the beauty of the covenant of between Christ and his church. And so if Christ has come, conquered death, removed the penalty of sin, and made his home in the hearts of his people, then the, the big idea has been accomplished. Like we, the, the, the thing that our soul longs for the most which is intimacy, relationship with the living God, Christ has achieved that for us. So imagine this, that somebody is able to live a life of singleness and not in this way of like they're really sacrificing, but in the way that they're saying, no, I'm, I'm good, like I'm fulfilled. It's kind of radical, isn't it? Anybody met anybody like that? It's, it's, it's rare, but I don't know that it should be. Uh, both whether that's temporary before they get married or something that they're just called to a life of it. But when we're able to say, no, I don't, I don't need that from the world because I, have, I might want it, I might desire it, I might look forward to it, but I don't need it to define me. I don't need it to fulfill me. I certainly don't need it, Jerry Maguire, to complete me, right? Because complete in Christ. So singleness points us to the sufficiency of Christ 
And I want you to think about this. John Piper talks a lot about how God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. Right? God is most glorified in us when we're most satisfied in him. And he'll drill that down into talking about that God is most glorified when we are suffering and yet we're praising. When we're suffering and yet praising God, he gets the most glory in that moment. You think about it. When we're doing really well and we're, we're you know, life, life is good, you know, uh, kids are behaving, marriage is good, finances are good, and we say, oh, you know, glory to God. Like, that's not a bad thing. Like, it's certainly good to give God glory in those moments. However, the world's going to look at us and go, well, it's easy for you to give thanks to God. Like, your life's really good, right? But when we are suffering, when we've got a diagnosis, right, a call from the doctor, when we've got a child that, uh, you know, has, has gone astray, when we've lost somebody in our life, when we've lost our jobs, perhaps, and yet in those moments we say, you know, I'm good, I have joy. Joy goes beyond these circumstances. It's not a fake joy. I'm not smiling when it's weird to smile. I'm just saying, you're not going to take my joy from me by taking these circumstances. When we do that, it brings a different level of glory to God. Does that make sense? Like when we're suffering and we say Jesus is enough, it brings glory to God in a particular and unique way. And the same is true of singleness. When we're able to say, I'm whole, I'm good, I'm complete because of Jesus. When the world is saying, there's no way you can experience Life fully without sexual intimacy, right? There's no way you can really be happy unless you are in the relationship you want to be in, right? Whether that's with another man, another woman, or, you know, a heterosexual marriage, whatever it may be. Like, we exalt this whole deal of finding the right one, experiencing the right right amount of thing. And so the world doesn't really have a category for somebody who's content without sexual intimacy, but Paul says there absolutely is that category, and it's there because of Jesus, Because sexual intimacy is a gift from Jesus to point us to Jesus. And so when we get Jesus, we're able to say, I'm actually good without that gift. Because that gift's just pointing me to Jesus, and I already got Jesus, and I'm going to get Jesus fully one day. So it's made to point us to the gospel. So that's the first point. But just like marriage is made to reflect and and point us to the, the beauty of the gospel, so is singleness because it tells us the sufficiency of the gospel. This is the point of Paul's teaching here. That's what he says when he's later. He's like, listen, you know, you, you got a wife? You should, you should actually probably start living more like you don't have a, a wife. And he's not saying go start living like a single guy. He's saying that the gospel has redefined everything. And so he's going to unpack that more by saying, okay, yeah, but, you know, if you got worldly goods, you should start living like you don't. If you're doing this and selling this, you start living like. And what he's saying is this is unpacking and kind of bringing on the ground what Jesus said. It freaked everybody out back in the Gospels when he says, if you don't hate your mother and brother and your father and come follow me, you have no part in me. And everybody's like, why do I got to hate my family? It's not about actually hating them. It's saying if, if you don't see Jesus as ultimate and, and redefining your whole purpose, existence, and, tr- and treasure in life, then you've not really been saved and seen Jesus as the glorious Savior. That's what Jesus is saying in that moment. If you don't see him as the one to drop everything and follow him, then you've not really caught the true picture of who Jesus is. And so Paul's saying here, like, listen, Jesus has redefined everything. And marriage isn't bad, and it's not, you shouldn't walk away from it. But it, it, all of this is temporary, is the point of, of the verses where he's talking about those who mourn or should uh, mourn as those, or those should, who mourn as though they are not mourning, those who rejoice as though they're not rejoicing. What he's saying is, all of this is temporary, and we should prioritize our lives accordingly. That's what he's saying, all right? So we're here for a moment. 
Psalms and Proverbs we talk about it's really just like a mist in the air, like our lives are, are brief in comparison to eternity. So we're here for a moment. Heaven is forever. And here's an interesting thing that some people don't love and, and really haven't understood fully, but there won't be marriage in heaven. Why? And some people are really disappointing. I don't mean to disappoint you. And here's the good news. It's not because it'll be less than, right? We're not going to miss out and go, oh, man, I really just wish I would. No, no, no. It's because marriage, again, as I said earlier, is the shadow that points us to the substance of the, of the greatest union, the greatest relationship that we could ever long for. That's Christ and his church. And when we get to heaven, that will have happened. And everything that we know about and enjoyed and, and rejoiced in about marriage will, will just be caught up into that. So we won't, we won't feel this loss of like, oh, I'm really, no, no, it, it won't be less than, it will be far greater than. Does that make sense? It's the fulfillment of. And how does that work? I, I don't know fully, right? Because I really enjoy marriage. I really enjoy sex. And so how, how is it going to be like better than that? I don't know, but it sounds awesome, right? Because the person and work of Jesus being in his presence, seeing his glory, all of that will just be caught up in that moment. And, and again, as I said this before, like we're not going to have to like learn to worship and get your worship hat on. Like, no, we'll worship because Jesus is there, period, right? And so when we experience his fullness of glory, like it's all just, it's going to fade away and it'll all be in perspective. And, and the things we loved and knew about marriage will just roll up into worship of the one and and we will we will know each other right we will enjoy that with one another there'll be relationships we'll recognize each other but there's not going to be marriage the way that we know it here because jesus will have fulfilled all that marriage is meant to provide for us here and point us toward there does that make sense it's good news right but you got to think about it you got to know about it you won't frame up marriage rightly and you won't frame up singleness rightly so that's what paul's saying in verse 28 through 31 there so let's go on to verse 32. Big idea here is singleness is actually a gift. So it's, it's meant to point us to Jesus, the gospel, just like marriage is, but it's actually a gift. And here's what he says, verse 32. I want you to be free from anxieties. Nobody's going to amen that? Y'all good with your anxieties? All right, cool. Uh, he says, the unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. We're going to come back to that. But the married man is anxious about worldly things and how to please his wife. His interests are divided. The unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint on you. Paul said you shouldn't feel guilty if you're married, but to promote good order and secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. So he says earlier, in uh, earlier in chapter 7 that just like marriage is a gift, singleness is also a gift, right? And one is not less than the other. It's just with different benefits. But we've got some work to do before we kind of kind of understand that and believe that, right? And too often, we in our culture and probably, you know, maybe even and probably even especially in the church inadvertently elevate marriage and family to the disdain, to the margin of, or to the Effect that we marginalize singles because many of our ministries can be family oriented, right? Sermons can be marriage focused, and and it can make like everything we kind of do can, if we don't, if we're not careful, can make single people feel like they're less than, right? They could feel make them feel like they're they're kind of second class people, and we kind of look at them with this you know sort of sad look in our eyes, right? Where we try to set them up 
Ask them how it's going. Ask them if they're seeing anybody, right? And this is the, these are the things we do uh, a lot of times inadvertently, right? We're not trying to make them feel bad about their life stage, but, but a lot of times we do that. And even if someone's called to live a life of singleness and they feel like that's a gift that God has given them, we just sort of look at them sadly and then we kind of commend them for their sacrifice, don't we? Isn't that kind of our posture when we, when we see that? And listen, what Paul is saying is, Actually, we should be high-fiving those people, right? Congratulating them and encouraging them, amen. And we should be asking them questions not like, oh, well, you know, what are you giving up or do you think you'll ever get married? No, we should be asking them, hey, that's awesome. What's God called you to? What's he doing in you? How is that, like, leading to ministry? How is that leading to fulfillment in you? What, what is God doing through your singleness? And we should be asking questions like that because what Paul is saying is singleness is a gift. And with a gift, you have certain benefits, just like marriage, but you've got a different set of benefits here. And what he's saying is you're able to leverage your life differently. So he's saying married people have got to be concerned about their families. And that's not wrong. Right? Don't hear me saying that. Don't, don't hear Paul saying it. He's not saying it's wrong. I think the language that Paul uses there and the way it's translated can be confusing because it says that if, you know, if you're married, then you're concerned about worldly things. And a lot of times the Bible will kind of uh, put worldly and spiritual things at, you know, at odds. It's not what Paul is doing here. He's saying there's a practical uh, earthly, uh, fleshly obligation now, right? He's, Paul's really, really clear about the obligation that man and wife have to one another and that man has to his family. And unapologetic about that, right? Man should be loving, sacrificing, pouring out for, protecting, providing for his wife and his kids. And if he is not, Paul has a whole lot more to say to him, okay? So that's not what he's saying. He's saying your interest, you're just going to be divided. It's not a bad thing. It's just a reality if you're married. Because you gotta, you got to tend to your family. you got to worry about that. And so a single person is able to leverage their life in a way that a married person isn't. And Paul's saying it's actually really good. God can do some stuff with a single person that he cannot do with someone who is married. They're able, a single person is able to leverage their time, talent, and treasure for the Lord in ways that married, aren't, married people aren't. Look at Paul himself. Right? Paul is the greatest missionary we ever know. And I say often that we should reflect back on Paul and Barnabas and others like him and their obedience in leaving Jerusalem and leaving the area in which the gospel started and taking it elsewhere. We should reflect back on that because it is because of their obedience that we have heard the gospel. Realize that, right? The the gospel of Jesus Christ got across the pond because of men like him saying yes and taking dangerous trips and proclaiming the gospel to people who didn't want to hear it, and it has taken off in conquering the world. So could Paul have done what he did to the extent that he did if he had a family? It'd be tough, right? He doesn't have a home. We generally frown upon that. you got a wife and kids, and you're not worried about, you know, having a house to put them in. Generally concerning. He doesn't have a steady income. He's relying on churches just to, you know, care for him. He makes some tents as he needs to, but, you know, he doesn't have a salary. He doesn't have... Right? Is that, is that good for a family? He's gone all the time. Right? He doesn't have a home. He's gone all the time. He's on ships. He's shipwrecked. He's been bit by snakes. He's in jail most of the time. That can't be a good dad when you're in jail, right? There's some issues there. But Paul's able to do that. Why? Because he doesn't have a family. So should we look at Paul with sad eyes and go, oh, you know, when are you going to get married, buddy? I was like, I ain't getting married. I'm gospel slinging until I die, right? I'm planting churches, saving lives. That's what I'm doing, period. 
We need to have that perspective. We need to look at our people that are, that are not yet married or maybe never going to get married and high-five them and encourage them and say, singleness is a gift. Tell me about that. Come over and eat dinner. I want to know about your life as a single person. We're going to pray for Diamond uh, here in a bit um, at the end of our service. And she's packing up this week to go to Germany to spend a couple years loving on international students and pouring the gospel into them. Now, could she have done that if she was married? Maybe, if her husband's able to go with her. She, could she have done that if she's got kids? I don't know, it's a lot harder, isn't it? She's leveraging her singleness for the glory of the gospel. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that awesome? We should celebrate that, not look at them all. Oh, poor thing, right? We have to change the way that we're talking, because singleness is a gift. Now, Paul's really clear. This isn't to say that those who are married should start exploring singleness as an option. Okay? He's really, really clear. I talked to a couple guys this week. They're like, honestly, that's not a tough sell for me. I can, I can kind of get on board with that. I'm like, no, no, no. That's not what Paul's saying. He's saying, you got a wife, you keep a wife. That don't, don't bail. It's just, he's just saying, if you, if you don't, don't be such, in such a hurry to necessarily get one because there there's some really rich benefits. In sing- Your singleness is a gift. Your marriage is a gift, so don't walk away from it. Don't, like, but your singleness is a gift. What Paul's saying. All right, so, but here's the deal. In order for it to be a gift, you've got to work at it. Same is true in marriage, right? If we're going to enjoy marriage and it's going to be a gift to us and the world, we've got to work at it, right? We can't just coast. We can't just let it be like it's hard work. Anybody in here married and say amen, right? Man, you guys are sleepy this morning. That's all right. Listen, marriage is hard work, and in order for it to be a gift, we have to be intentional. We have to work at it. The same is true of singleness. You can't just do the same things that the rest of the world does, have the same influences, do the same, have the same hobbies, spend your time the same way, watch the same stuff, be around the same people, do all the same things, and expect that just because I said so or just because the Bible said so that singleness is good, that now you're going to not have a desire to be married anymore or not have a desire to have sex anymore. It likely won't work that way, right? You're going to have to lean into the Lord and, and let who he is Right, like rise up and and change the way that you live your life. Right, so there's some implicit instructions here in verse 32 and then verse 34. He's saying that the single person is anxious about pleasing the Lord. So if you're single, you should be anxious about pleasing the Lord. That's your instructions, right? And so often we're anxious about getting a spouse and then thinking that once we get married, then our life for the Lord can start. But no, Paul says, listen, the, the single person, the, your instruction implicit here in this passage, a couple different places, is to Worry about pleasing the Lord. That's his instruction for you. And not only his instruction, but also his fatherly heart of saying, hey, you want to have fulfillment? You want to be happy while you're single? You want to feel like you're not missing out? Come on. Come serve me. Follow me. I got some really exciting stuff for you to do. I got some stuff that that you can do that others can't, right? I got this adventure. You're not alone. I'm with you. I see you. I know you. And I've gifted you, wired you, and I love you, and I've called you into this ministry. So, this is your calling. Whether you're single for a season and you're, you're waiting and praying for God to bring you a spouse, or whether you're single for a lifetime, be anxious about pleasing the Lord and you'll have a fulfilled life. Again, you just do things the way the rest of the world does and, and expect to just be content. God, God, make me happy as a single. It's going to be difficult. You need to apply the same uh, principle of contentment that we saw in Philippians 4 when we preached through that a while ago. And you can read Philippians 4 and you can, you can talk. You can see how Paul 
talked about, his secret to contentment, it applies to relationships just as much as it does his dwelling place and his financial situation, right? What he talks about is like, we can't be, if you're focused on what you don't have and you're anxious about getting a spouse, you're anxious about getting this and doing this and people liking you, am I pretty, am I not, you know, whatever, like if you're anxious about all that, it's going to lead to despair. He says when you, when you think about, A, who Christ is, and B, all that he's done, whatever's good, whatever's right, whatever's commendable, whatever's pure, think on these things, of your heart will start to shift and you'll start to experience contentment, fulfillment in whatever season you're in. Again, whether that's you waiting for a spouse or whether that's you mourning the loss of a spouse, not knowing if you're ever going to get one again, whether that's you realizing that your life is going to be spent without a spouse, the instructions are the same. Be anxious about pleasing the Lord. So he's saying, get in the game. You can have a family without having a, a, you know, a husband, wife, and, and kids Right here, there's kids all back in there that, that need discipleship. There's, there's students that meet back here on Sunday night. There's, there's kids in our community that need mentors. There's all kinds of ways that you can invest in and get in the game of disciple-making, whether you're married or not. And in fact, Paul would say, there's ways that you can do it that married people can't. So don't sit around waiting for your life to begin when you get married. No, no, no. Get to work. Leverage your singleness. Unto the Lord. And not only will you be more fulfilled, but if you're actually hoping to get married, you'll be a whole lot sexier as a person who has a purpose and who that purpose is beyond themselves. That's attractive. So, singles is a gift. Leverage that thing. Be anxious about pleasing the Lord, not about getting a spouse, not worrying about those things. Maybe he'll bring you on, maybe he won't. But either way, what we do know is he'll meet you, fulfill you, walk with you, and use you. You can bank on that. All right, verse 36 uh, through 39. If anyone thinks that he is not behaving properly toward his betrothed, toward the other women that aren't married, right? Uh, If his passions are strong, nobody can relate to that and it has to be, then let him do as he wishes. Let them marry. There's no sin. All right, so what Paul's saying is, listen, if, if you're starting to think, maybe I'm not called to this whole singleness thing because I find myself thinking about marriage a lot, and I find myself liking, you know, girls and boys, you know, the opposite sex a lot, then Paul's saying, that's okay. You don't have to don't feel bad about that. You're not less than either. He's saying, that's okay. You, you can get married. But here, here's, here's some things he says, verse 37. But whoever is firmly established in his heart, being under no necessity, but having his desire under control, we're going to come back to that, and determined in his heart to keep her as his betrothed, he'll do well. So then he who marries his betrothed, he does well. He who refrains from marriage will do even better. See, so even if you're already in this relationship where you've agreed to marry and whatever, he said the gospel's changed everything. If you've met Jesus, you might want to reexamine that. And if God calls you guys to, instead of getting married, to leverage your singleness for the glory of God, he said, that's good. Like, do that. If you're not already in that covenant relationship, that's good, and you should do that. Um, if you're, you know, if you're, if you're going to get married, that's, that's fine, too. But, but the, the thing I want to lean into here is when he says, if this person who's not married is firmly established, verse 37, in his heart, being under no necessity, but having his desire under control. I want you to, I want you to hear that. Did you even know that was possible? What Paul is saying here is that you can actually live your life with your desire under control. 
right? Like, we don't have that category in our world today, do we? It's not about controlling your desires. It's about finding a way to fulfill them, right, and do it. Like, but what Paul's saying here, and this is important for both single people and married people, because we can actually live a life where our desires are under control. I know for me growing up in the church, and, you know, like, so I'm going to school, I'm watching TV, but I'm going to church, they're telling me not to have sex, but then everything I'm watching, everything I'm seeing, everything I'm, you know, skin's everywhere, and, I, and I, you know, I'm wanting to have sex, everybody's talking about sex, everybody else is doing sex, and I'm just being told not to, and it's really confusing for a young man, right? And we create this kind of pressure cooker of young people, and we're just telling them, no, 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 don't do it, don't do it. And we're just hoping, right, like our greatest aim is just to, you know, keep them away from each other until they can get married, right? And then we go, whew, okay, now they can, we don't have to worry about it, right? Like just to keep them restrained until we can kind of point them, at, they can point in the right direction, and then we're, then we're good. Like we don't, we don't ever talk about how it's actually possible to live with your daggum desires under control. And Paul's saying it is. This was huge for me in in my marriage, right? So I've, I've, listen, here's a, here's a quick pro tip for you young men that are struggling with pornography. That is not an acceptable way to get by until you get married, until you get married, because here is the secret. Marriage doesn't fix it. Marriage doesn't fix it. You don't believe me? Ask any other dude that's been married. Like, it doesn't. So what does that mean? We don't just that's not what we do. We don't just, you know, hold it in and, you know, whatever, and, you know, and wait till we get married. No, we have to learn to have our desires under control. We have to submit our desires to Jesus. And what happens then, because the world tells us, oh, this, and we're stimulated by this, stimulated by that, and we do that. And then, and then we're, just, we're just built to have this whole twisted mindset. But what, what God has for us is when we get married and we get to experience the beauty of what, what we talked about last week in the union there, that that becomes this overwhelming desire for our spouse, no matter what they, what they look like or what, you know, how they're, if they shape shift or not or throughout the years. Like, it's still about your spouse because that beauty, that, that experience is tied to your spouse and not to images on the computer or on your phone or in the world, right? And so God has beauty for us there. And, and married people and single people need to understand that God wants you to have your desires under control. So the implication this has for singleness is that we don't have to look at somebody who's not ever going to get married and go, oh, you know, and just kind of feel bad for them. Go, no, man, how can I encourage you? How can I come alongside you? How can I support you? This is awesome. What are you going to do with that? Like, and, and we can trust that they are a full, whole, happy person. Right? Here's, I'm going to state the obvious here. Look at Jesus. Bible says, fully, man, fully God, fully man, tempted in every way that we were. There's no fine print there. Tempted in every way that we were, yet he was without sin. Did Jesus, was he missing out? Was he, was he you know, like did he, did he feel like he was being, you know, left out, that his life was less than somebody else's? No, no, no. In fact, he is, he is living not only as the saving Savior, but also the example of our life, how we should live our life. We should follow him. So Jesus himself was completely fulfilled, completely whole, without sexual intimacy, and so can we be. We can have our desires under control, and we need to talk about that. We need to teach that to our kids. We need to teach that to one another. We need to speak that over one another. We don't need to coddle young men that are just, you know, looking at porn and limping into marriage. We need to say, no, dude, get that under control, and I'll help you. Here's some software. Here's some resources. Here's the Bible, right? Look at that instead of the daggum computer screen. 
Right? We need to be doing that with one another so that we can have good marriages so we can also have good single people. Amen? So you can have your desires under control, and we need, to, we need to feel that. We need to know that. Listen, if we don't get that, we're going to look at everybody who's not married as though they're actually missing out on fulfillment when we should actually be looking at them like, yeah, you guys... God's got a different gift for you, and that's really rich and really good. We've got to let the gospel be bigger than our sexual desire. When we do that, we can see that God is, is doing something in us, right? That, that we're not settling in that moment. God's not taking from us in that moment whenever he says no, not to that. Right? Only, only here do you get to have that sexual desire. And if you don't have this, you don't have that marriage, then that's not for you. We're, that's not a, we're not sacrificing in that moment. God's not taking from us. Instead, he's leading us into something better. We have to let the gospel be bigger than our sexual desire. All right, uh, last two verses, and we'll, we'll talk just very briefly about what our application points. So verse 39 and 40, I won't say a lot about this. Um, we talked about dating back in uh, last summer in the, our Proverbs series, uh, but um, verse 39 says, A wife is bound to her husband as long as, she, as long as he lives, but if her husband dies, she's free to be married to whom she wishes, except what? Only in what? You guys awake? She's free to marry who she wishes, only in the Lord. What's he saying? He's saying, listen, you're single, you desire a spouse, whether, that's, you're, you're, whether you're widowed, whether you're young and single, whether you're middle-aged and single and you want a spouse, that's not wrong. Paul's not here. Again, he doesn't want to put this guilt and weight on you. He's saying, don't neglect. You got a good gift there. Leverage it. But if you want, a, you want a spouse, you're free to get one, but get one from within the church. Get one from within Christ's body. She should be a Christian, period. He should be a Christian. Well, that seems really legalistic. No, it seems really loving. If you're trying to follow Jesus and you marry somebody that isn't, you're going to have a whole lot, a whole other list of problems that are far greater than your singleness. God cares about you, and he's saying if you're going to be married, it should be to someone who worships God the way that you worship God. You can Listen, you don't believe me, take a flip through the Old Testament, and you'll see the mess that happened whenever God's people didn't do this. Okay, they wrecked all kinds of stuff by that very sin. All right, so here's the deal. If, if you're, you're dating, like, or if you're in that world, singleness, hoping to get a... Get a uh, a spouse, again, be anxious in the Lord, not your future spouse. Instead, focus on pleasing the Lord, being the type of person that you would want to marry, and let the Lord bring you a partner within his church, right? And then Paul, he just ends, we talked about verse 40 already, he's just saying, you can do that, but in my own judgment, I might be happier if you don't. So something to consider. Paul, just throwing that out there. A couple, one more time. Just, though you may not have thought about this, you can be single. That's okay, Paul's saying. I think my life's been okay, and I think I have some authority to say so. So put that on the, we have to put that on the table as a legitimate option. Marriage is a gift. Singleness is a gift. All right, so what do we do? Here's our response. If we're single, um, my encouragement to you is to rest in your identity in Christ. You're so tempted to think about what you're missing out on. And I get it. Like, and I, 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 I know, like, I'm talking to single people, like, you can think about, do you want to, I don't want to go to a restaurant by myself. I don't want to go to on vacation by myself, like you feel like the world is, you know, and there's, there's, I get that, it's it's difficult, but don't focus on what you don't have, focus on what you do have, focus on your identity in Christ, you are enough single person, 
period. You are enough. You don't need to be completed by some person. Like Jesus loves you, has pursued you, bought you with a price, and he screams on the cross that you are enough. You're not less than. You're not second class. You are enough. And Paul would even say, hey, you might even be on the varsity team because of some of the stuff you can do that married people can't. So think about it. Secondly, if you're single, pursue the Lord. Be anxious about pleasing him, as we said. This is good for you whether you're going to remain single or if you wish to be married someday and you want to repair. Don't sit around and wait. Pursue the Lord. Leverage the gift of singleness. Get in the game of disciple-making. Don't wait on your life to start. Don't wait on your Bible study to start. Don't wait on your ministry to start until you get a spouse. Don't. Lean in. Use your singleness. Start pursuing the Lord unapologetically. Listen, I know there's women that sometimes feel like they can't do that. They can't learn more, do more, be in ministry more because they'll be intimidating to some of the men that could possibly be their suitors. And I would tell you, tell you, you probably don't want those men anyway. Okay, Don't apologize for loving the Lord. Don't apologize for knowing God's word. And don't apologize for doing ministry. God will call alongside a man that can handle you and love you right, and be a partner with you. You, that, listen, that's the only way marriage is going to work anyway. If you know who you are without someone in Christ, then you're able to offer yourself to someone in their strength and, and be, uh, you know, complementary to each other. Because if you come in just wanting somebody to complete you, whether it's certainly not attractive on the, the male side, if you're just like, oh, I just want a wife, I want a wife, I want a wife, girls are going to be like, ugh, get away from me, dude. Like, you're just, right? Like, nobody, they don't want to be the point of your life. They want to be called into your life. Right? They want to come alongside you into what you're already called into. The same is true of a woman. They don't want this. Like men, we think we want to be, the, and we do want to be the hero, but we don't want our, her only desire to be for us. Right? Like that, that just it doesn't work well. We need to know who we are in the Lord without a spouse so that we, we can go to the spouse and offer ourselves, offer our strengths, offer our gifts to them. And yes, where we are weak, their, strength, their strengths are going to complement, and there's real beauty there. We don't wait for somebody to complete us. That's, that's a terrible lie, right? Don't do that. If you're married, so this, this, is, this is the majority of our church, and this is important. I'm glad you came today because it's important. We have to change the way we view singleness, okay? We have to change how we speak of singleness. As we've said, it is a gift. Paul says it is a gift, so we should speak of it as such, Okay, so stop looking at people with sad eyes. Stop asking them if they, want, if, if they want you to set them up. Stop asking them if they've found anybody yet. Stop asking them if they've tried Christian mingle. All right? I promise you they're trying. If they want a, if they want a spouse, like, they don't need you to tell them to try. They're trying. Love on them in the meantime. Don't, start, don't speak of it as though they're, you know, they're missing out in this second class. No, no. Talk about it as though Paul does, as a gift. We need to know. That, so change our view of it. We need to change how we speak about it. We need to know that it is a legitimate lifestyle, and that can be for several reasons. First of all, somebody could just be called to it. And again, we shouldn't look at them, feel bad. Like, they could be called to it. We should high-five them, encourage them, lead them, on, like, serve them. Right? They might, somebody might be called or might have a legitimate reason for being single because they have been divorced and they're not free to remarry. Right? There's a God-honoring reason to remain single. They might be widowed and they might not yet and they might not ever feel like 
doing that again. We don't need to make them feel bad about that. We don't need to present that as their solution, right? We just need to be with them. Let them talk to us. Make them feel like they can. Or, maybe most relevantly for this series, singleness is actually a legitimate option for somebody who is same-sex attracted but wants to love and follow Jesus. If you go to your app and you listen to the video, and I think the book that I recommended on there as well, are both written by a man named Sam Albury, and he is a man who, uh, like he is same-sex attracted, and yet he is celibate because he knows the Lord doesn't give him permission to live that way. So he surrenders that desire to the Lord, and he loves the Lord. He serves the local church. He does ministry, and he's an incredible voice on how to understand that. I know it's new for some of you, but listen. Having that desire doesn't keep you out of the kingdom of God. Just like having lust and, you know, desire to overeat, sin, gossip, and those things don't keep us out of the kingdom of God. Like, it's when we act on them that we sin, right? And so having that desire, like, they may choose, like, that's what we shouldn't be inviting them into. It's not just that they got to live how we live. They say, man, I don't know, I don't have any way to relate to you, but let me encourage you, walk with you, and honor you as you live a life of celibacy in order to pursue, honor, and glorify God. There's beauty in that. It's a legitimate option for somebody who's struggling with same-sex attraction. Maybe, listen, there's a lot of stories where God changes their desires, changes their attraction, and they end up getting married. A lot of those stories. Rosaria Butterfield. Um, there's another girl that writes a lot. Um, Jackie, what? Jackie O'Perry. Some good voices out there of people that God actually did change their, their desires, right? And they're in a heterosexual marriage now, and they love it. Right? So God does that sometimes, other times he doesn't. So singleness is a legitimate option for those people. Okay? We need to have that as a category and put that on the table for people. And listen, we need to be, so it changes how we treat singles. Okay? Again, we've talked about it a lot. And then lastly, we need to teach our children about the gift and benefits of singleness. If we don't, they're going to be pressured by this idea that they have to be married at this age, do this thing, be with this person or not. We need to, not that we're, like putting singleness on the table is the only option for them, but we need to teach them about the benefits of it so that they don't feel like they're less than, feel like their life doesn't start until they get into a marriage. We need to help them navigate a sexually charged culture by teaching them that they can be whole and happy without sexual intimacy and teach them that they can have their desires under control. We need to do that. We need to engage there. And all this hinges on us understanding singleness as a gift. Let's pray. God, I'm grateful for your word, that you speak to things that are difficult. You speak to things that uh, we don't always have the wisdom to navigate. And so, Father, I pray your word would um, accomplish its purposes this morning amongst us, um, that it would fall where it needs to fall and um, do work in hearts and lives where it needs to do work. It would help us all to examine our own hearts, our own lives, our own relationships, Help us to repent of where we viewed singleness negatively. Lord, help exalt the gift of singleness in our own hearts so that we can be a gift for our kids and for the people around us. Father, there's brokenness throughout this room, throughout our world. And a lot of it does revolve around sexuality. So I pray, Lord, that you speak your healing, hope-filled truth into our hearts this morning. Would you do work in and amongst us? It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.